Coming to you live from the Buffalo Rome, I'm Johanna Stauffer, and with me as always is the Buffalo Pope, and this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Episode 6, that was German for 6. Welcome back to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. I'm Tom Rich. And I'm Johannes Stauffer. Johannes Stauffer, as opposed to all of the other Stauffers out there. There's an S on the end of my first name and the beginning of my last name, Mm -hmm. and it's very hard to inflect the two separately without sounding real weird. Johannes Stauffer. Right. Johannes Stauffer. It's like trying to say cottage cheese. I haven't had that trouble, but I I guess I could understand. Give it it a try. Give it a go. Cottage cheese. Yeah, see how they kind of glom together? Yeah, but it's not like it's cottage cheese. Even that wouldn't be as bad. Cottage cheese. It's not good, yeah. Because you can't really, Stauffer. you can't draw out a ch sound. No, that's just an sh. That's just yeah, an sh you're sound. Right. I'm trying. It's not working. Or or a soft g. Cottage. I guess you sort of could, but when would you ever? Cottage cottage cheese. Why is it called cottage cheese? Like. I've eaten in a lot of places that aren't cottages. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever been to a cottage. My guess is because I think it's like, I've also heard a similar thing called farmer's cheese. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're actually the same, but it's basically you just take milk and you put vinegar in it until it turns chunky, (laughs) like overheat, I think. It's pretty simple to make. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's because like you could make it. In a cottage. In a cottage. You can make a lot of things in a cottage. Or it could be completely unrelated to that. I mean, you know, you, you, you talk about cottages like it's not a good place to make stuff, but like you can make a lot of stuff there. You could make an entire person there. I was going to say, I thought you were going to go somewhere else and I was going to respond with you could make an accidental baby, but that's, you, you yeah. that's what you led that's with. Where so we're going, yeah. You could make an on purpose baby. I don't think that's true. Why no, would you be in a cottage no. then? <laughs> Fair point. So we're glad to have you here on the Wild Strong Start. Podcast. It's it's really off to a great opening here. Um, as you may have noticed, both Johannes and I have powerfully defective minds. Just completely broken. They don't work. Uh, in my case, they're obsessed with minutia. They. Uh, and and just trivialities, meaningless, pointless data. I'll give you an example. I spent a solid two and a half, three hours this Saturday. Uh creating a spreadsheet that could figure out based on people's birthdays how old they would be on inauguration day <laughs> 2017 and i used that tool to figure out where in in the hierarchy all of the current presidential candidates would fall uh in terms of who oldest or youngest on inauguration day uh and this took a while i had to learn a couple of new things about excel to do it because I'm not an Excel master, and they're probably pretty simple if you actually know what you're doing, but I don't. And and then at the end of it, I kind of just looked up, looked across the room and go, now I know that. What have I become? <laughs> what have I become? You said something along the lines of find out everyone's age mm-hmm. or anyone's age. And I was like, that's a lot. It's a lot of people. <laughs> Even though we've talked about, or I, I read your Facebook post about it and we talked about it. Mm-hmm. I still didn't know where you were going with it until after that. Because there's a group in uh, one of the states that had a primary this week. Ohio? Uh, I don't know. Florida? It's really unimportant. Um, it's a group of, of minors mm-hmm. who who are, I think, are suing uh, because they think they should be allowed to vote in the primary because they will be old enough to vote come oh, election yeah, that's day. Oh, that's in Ohio. That's, that's Ohio? Ohio? Yeah. Well, and it's not even that. It's that they had been previously allowed to. In oh, previous, really? Pre, my understanding is they'd been allowed to in previous elections, and a judge issued an order shortly before this election saying, no, that's actually not the correct interpretation of that law. Huh. And they sued They sued to say, yes, we should be allowed to vote, but also I think part of it was 
it's nonsense that you can change that rule like right before the election. Sure. I don't know. I, I'm not enough of a scholar of electoral pol- electoral law to really know one way or the other. But Th- This may be just a vastly oversimplified understanding of things, but I was sort of under the impression that uh, a person under the age of 18, a, a minor couldn't vote uh, because they're not, they're a minor, so they like they can't do any legal mm-hmm. action on their own. Like they ha- they still have a guardian at that point unless right. they've been emancipated or something. So, but I guess that would mean they couldn't sign checks, mm-hmm. and they can do that. They, they can, yeah. So, whatever. I was under the impression that a minor couldn't vote because they've probably got dirty hands, and you won't be able to read the ballot when they're, they're done. underground all the time. They don't even know what's going on up here. Right. I mean, they're just confused. For any minors listening of either kind. Whatever, you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> anyway, back to the subject of our brains that don't work right. Uh, Mine is broken in a way that was just demonstrated. Yes, uh, powerful, devastating brain hunger over there. Um, <laughs> we actually have to put a purple filter on the windows of whatever building we're recording in case a purple truck drives by. A purple truck being, as I'm sure you are all aware, the number one distractor for people with ADHD. You know that that would just make any truck that drives by look like a purple truck because a purple filter just makes everything look purple. I didn't think it all the way through. (laughs) You'd want a filter that filters out, you know. Just purple. Sure. You you wouldn't want to see any purple. Blue truck, fine. Black truck, okay. (laughs) Maroon truck, Getting dangerous. Getting, getting dangerous. Yeah. Purple truck, right out. Look, a purple truck. <laughs> you see? Hey, just forever. That's yeah. all. The, look, another. There's a purple house over there. <laughs> it's so purple. Uh, and then he scarpers off into the distance, never to be seen again. Is scarper a word? Sure. So, speaking of brain hunger. Right. Devastating apocalyptic brain hunger. Why? So, what? Why? Why are right, we talking So, we're about bringing this? this up because both Johannes and I, at some point in the not so recent distant future, past. Hold on. <laughs> Trying this again. Just just wheeling it back. Scooting on back to the previous position in the uh, the old flow of podcast here. All right, here, here. Count me in. Count me in. Count me in. Three, two, one. Do it. So in the relatively recent past, both your house and I realized, and he probably faster than I did, uh, we have a lot on our plates that we have to get done, and just like lots of it falls through the cracks if we're not careful. In his case, because of what we were just talking about. In my case, because I spend all of my time reading about War- Woodrow Wilson. Is really what pretty it much down to. yeah. So we both we both were were taking steps to make sure that our various projects would get done. In my case, I wanted to get all of the board game design stuff and all my stuff for work and all my stuff for teaching and all my stuff for writing and all the books I want to read done. And, you know, you got you to gotta have a system if you're going to have that much on your plate at once. Yep. In Johannes's case, he's got like, I think you're up to, what, 18 jobs now? Something like that. Something in that range. So, I mean, he just needs something ironclad to tell him when it's okay to sleep. It's not. It's never okay to sleep. Never. Uh, That's written on the cover yep. of my uh, book we're about to talk about. You, you must chain yourself to the wheel of commerce and create value for your capitalist overlords. Fight the power. Viva. Uh, but... <laughs> What did you viva? Bernie 2016. <laughs> oh. Bernard. But, uh, what's that? Or Bernard. Is it Bernard? Bernard or Bernard? Bernard. 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 Hey, hey, Bernard. Bernard, look. Bernard, look. Bernard. Look, Bernard. I'm a prostitute robot from the future. Uh, that was a reference to Black Books. Excellent show on Netflix. You should watch it and then come to our houses and talk to us about it. But anyway, uh, we discovered, uh, I don't know where Johannes found it. I found it through him. A system called Bullet journaling. I found it on the internet. The internet. The internet. The internet. Uh, which is a, a productivity time management task management system that some dude who also had powerful brain hunger, I think if I remember from reading his bio correctly, developed and uh, is now shilling on the internet. I guess you could call it shilling. Uh, and so we, we, we read about it and we said, ah, why don't we give it a try? Why don't we see what happens? Why don't we try this thing? Maybe it'll work. Um, so now let's, let's start out by, before we jump into the details of what, what it is, let's start out by answering the obvious, uh, 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 sandwich board bedecked monkey in the room with a question printed on it. Uh, if you live in the year of our Lord 2016, uh, and you have the enough equipment to podcast, 
why don't you just use one of the Hotrillion productivity apps and programs and systems out there and let uh, technology improve your life? Why not use one of those things? It's a great question. That's the first question I'm sure any everybody will ask. Well, I know the answer for you is that you're a filthy Luddite. Uh, I am. I am a dirty Luddite. Uh, I still have a flip phone. Uh, I don't have a television in my house. Uh, if I could get away with it, I would live nude in the woods, living off berries and honey. But unfortunately, if I, uh, the one time I tried that, it turned out it was a park, and you can't do that. And it's hard to hunt bears with a taser. <laughs> Plus, if you're a Luddite, you're not allowed to have one. Yeah, really, I didn't think the plan all the way He's through. He's not good at it, no. but he doesn't stop him from trying. I do try. And so, that, so that's, in my case, that's, that's a, a large chunk of this. Like, can we do this more primitively? Actually, when I saw this, because uh, I'm I'm usually on the opposite end, I'm like, whatever technological thing can ding and buzz and blink and remind me mm-hmm. is the thing that I need. And the faster it can do that, the better. So the newer it is, generally the better. But I saw this and I was just like, the thing I'm using, right, well, I had been using, uh, wasn't working for me. And when I bought one of these bullet journals for myself, I thought, Tom needs this in his life. And this is just Luddite enough that he might actually like it. Mm-hmm. So I bought a second one. Because he's a kind man. That's a not true. No. No, it's the opposite. Um, so to, so those are kind of the, the semi-serious, semi-facetious answers. The real, uh, an answer that, with a little more depth to it, from, from my perspective at any rate, would be that I find that that trying to 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 do this kind of reflective planning type thing within a technological construct is incredibly distracting. Mm-hmm. Like I'll uh, hit you with an example. We have at work uh, a lot of long term projects going on, and so my manager and the various levels of leadership of various teams that I have to interact with have a wide variety of um, uh, spreadsheets in which they track things. It is bewildering. There are there's just so many of them that that you have to keep track of and that you have to keep updated with what you're doing to the point where I'm not allowed to update them. We have a meeting where I tell the person who knows how the spreadsheet works how to update it. That's awful. Yeah. And and so like we go and we go through and we're like, well, so where are you on this step? I'm like, I'm at 50 percent. Then they update what it is on that spreadsheet. That's the worst thing. Yeah. And it's pretty short because my stuff, I I make sure to go to those meetings prepared. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, cause I want them to end as fast as possible, but it's, I, and like, even on the spreadsheets that I update myself, it's like, it's a chore to find it on the website and open it and get into it. And then remember, how does this one work? And even, uh, a lot of them will do so that you can do reporting. They'll do validation on the data you put in. So it's not like you can just type whatever you did in. You have to fit it into a category. Mm-hmm. Or you have to type it in in a particular way. You can't just type meeting. You have to type in meeting with customer enough that it'll recognize it and right, put the data in. Right. So there's just a lot of overhead. Or not overhead is not the word. There's a lot of stuff built around it. Yeah. And even if it's a dedicated time management tool like Gmail or like or Google Calendar or your Outlook Calendar, you're still going into it. And it's still embedded in other processes google mm-hmm. calendar is part of is connected to gmail and you've got to get in your web browser to go get it right your outlook calendar is linked intimately with your email so you're in your email doing this other things there's all this other stuff pulling at you and the temptation to just faff off and play is is overwhelming yeah or at least very strong um whereas a paper system is more or less universally flexible i mean you can do with a page whatever you can whatever your capacity to command a pen can do you know you can make it very very simple for situations where it can afford to be very very simple you can make it more complex and robust for situations that require it. it's very adaptive that way two it pulls you out of all of these other things you don't have all of the icons and stuff you just have heck you flip the page you just have a blank page that's mm-hmm. all you've got it's nice that way so i've talked a while go ahead that's fine um i i actually discovered it uh, bullet journal it's kind of funny through the task management system i was using before called habitica which is actually pretty good if it, if it's the sort of thing that works for you um i found it had a few fatal flaws um it's designed to be sort of a gamified task list and some of the things i liked were like they had daily tasks that recur so you know if you forget to brush your teeth having one for brushing your teeth 
is helpful. Um, and they had habits. If you're trying to form a habit or break a habit, you can say like they have a plus and a minus uh, button you can give them. So mm-hmm. if, if you're trying to say like eat healthy food instead of junk food, you can have a plus and a minus on it. So you can give yourself plus if you ate healthy food minus if you broke down and ate an entire cheesecake, um, that kind of thing. Or, and or an entire bag of salt and vinegar potato chips. <laughs> and then tongue it's, was peeling. <laughs> gross. And then it's all based around your character who levels up over time, uh, but it had some fatal flaws, some of which were that the entire thing was so involved, kind of like you were talking about with like, just to get to your Google calendar, Mm -hmm. you're going through Gmail, email is distracting, Google Docs might be distracting, Google Plus might be distracting, Mm -hmm. emails in your email box from Facebook, like just there's so many things to draw you off task. Habitica had like armor and equipment that you could gain Mm -hmm. and like bad guys to fight and experience to earn and spells to cast and you could very easily disappear down a hole without ever leaving your task management system right it also had a problem where um to keep you i think from adding a bunch of tasks and checking them off immediately to artificially inflate your level um older tasks were worth more Mm. which at the end of the day, encourages procrastination. Right. It's just like, yeah, the longer you don't do this, the more it's worth when you finally do. It's a terrible plan. It's not a good. That's not a good feature. Um, a good feature it had that I didn't use all that much, and when I finally started using it, it immediately led me away. Uh, were these communities, and one of them I was a part of was a community for people with ADHD, and they were all posting about ways they used to manage their ADHD, and one of the top things when I looked last was bullet journal like how I'm using bullet journal and it's really making a difference and I was like well check that out and now I have that instead of (laughs) Habitica which was also free so it's not like they lost a customer but right uh so should we get into actually what yeah yeah let's talk about how it works so uh first up one of the one of the kind of the key points of bullet journal sort of like its golden rule or rule zero if you will is that you you adapt it and keep what works ditch what doesn't right um to the point where you just any journal will work. Any any piece of paper that is bound together will work here. We we both have the the official bullet journal things because we're suckers for that kind of a thing, uh, which is a very part of it. Yeah, which is a very nice. Is it leather bound? Yep, it's uh, bonded leather. That's a very nice bonded leather journal. Uh, good quality construction, all that crap, and it has a bunch of pages in it with dot grids on them. Which is for those who don't follow what I mean by that, it's basically a. Graph paper without the lines is just got a dot at each yep. intersection, uh, which is kind of nice. It gives you the benefit of lines without, with the freedom of a blank page. Kind of, it's a good middle ground between the two. Yeah, I like it. So the the idea with the bullet journal is you you set up at the start a kind of a a six month view on one pair of pages. You do two horizontal lines and then you label the six boxes that creates. Uh, you know, your six-month view. Before we go too far, um, if you want to check this out real quick, there's a short video at bulletjournal.com uh, that will also give you all the basics real quick mm-hmm. so you can have a better handle on what we're talking about. Right. We're going to try to lay it out for you without the aid of visuals, but uh, if that's not working for you, bulletjournal.com has the video and all the other things. And we are we are not sponsored by Bullet Journal. Uh, we're not sponsored by anybody, actually, so you can trust that we're being honestly stupid here. Right. <laughs> So you, you set up this, this six-month view at the start, followed by a one-month view for the individual month that you're looking at now, which is a, a, another pair of pages facing each other with a monthly calendar down the left. You just write your your days of the month, one through 31 or however many, uh, on one side, and you mm-hmm. keep it, uh, an overall monthly task list on the right. Then you flip again, and you start doing just da- little daily logs, which are more or less just lists of tasks and events and notes for that day. In no particular order. You don't worry about what order they go on the page in. You just uh, jot them down. Yep. He's got a system of iconography used. So like a, a task is a bullet point, just an ordinary little bullet. And when you finish it, you exit out. Uh, a, an event is just an open circle, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And you can go look at what those are uh, uh, as you so desire. It's pretty straightforward and, and easy enough to... Like, you'll see it once and you'll pretty much remember what the bullets are. Yeah, it's not too bad that way. Um, and so then you, as you finish out a day, you know, you draw a line and then start the next day right under it and the next and the next and the next and you keep going until you get to the end of the month, at which point you flip to the next open set of pages and you start a new month. You start a new monthly log. Uh, excuse me. Um, 
And then you look back over the course of your month that you just completed and find any uncompleted, uncompleted tasks, anything that you never got around to. And then if they're junk, if you're like, well, that didn't, didn't happen. And I guess it didn't need to happen. Like there's no real problem with it not getting done. Mm -hmm. Just make it go away. Now it's gone. Now you never have to think about it again. It's kind of like that, uh. Oh, what was it called? The the four quadrants that we talked about on the, the Eisenhower decision, the, decision, matrix. decision matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His bald head gleaming. <laughs> uh, if it's something that you need to do, you just migrate it forward to the new month. So there's a kind of a built-in reflectiveness to it where you go back and check how things went as you make the next thing. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that kind of threw me at first was that I'm like, well, it seems like why wouldn't you just print a book? with the months pre the monthly logs pre-done in it. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you just have all of this set up? And it's like the act of having to sit down and draw March, the month of March, like write out the whole thing was kind of almost re reflective. It's, you know, and I have to think, okay, here's well, how many days. I that's have one of his main points is, is uh, even if it seems tedious um, when you're migrating tasks, if you're moving it from last month, cause it was uncompleted to mm -hmm. a new month, or if you're moving it from, uh, a day to a collection or whatever, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, part of the system is writing it down over and over again. And his, his thing is if it's not important enough to be worth writing down, it's not important enough to be worth doing. Mm -hmm. And if it is, then writing it down again is going to remind you to do it. Right. And it's going to be in some small way, at least an impetus to complete it. So you don't have to write it again, down again tomorrow or next month mm -hmm. or whenever you move it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let me, let me throw an example of, of, of kind of what, a very small scale example of how it, it, it works there. I had, uh, I'd been putting off responding to this email I got from a guy I used to work with at, a, at another job. Um, I'd gotten it. I looked at it and like, I need to reply to that. And then it just sort of didn't happen for like three weeks, four weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and then I started the bullet journal and I jotted it down for today. And then at the end of my work day, uh, I opened like it's, it's, you know, 10 to three. It's the very end here. 10 to four. I don't get done work at, with work at three. I'm not that lucky. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going through and make and, and checking off the stuff that I finished. And I say, oh, reply to that email. Uh, I should do. I haven't done that yet. I can't check it off if I don't do it. That's going to be obnoxious to have that unchecked. So I just powered through, did it. So that little reminder and part of the, the kind of reworking it, working through it process was nice. It helped. It got that task done. I got the email sent to my ex-coworker. So that's nice. Tom's actually reminding me of things I need to do as we're having this conversation <laughs> on the air and I am adding things to my, uh, my bullet journal. Uh, so Johannes mentioned a moment ago that we wanted to mention collections. So a collection is another feature the or, or feature of the system whereby if you've got something that doesn't really fit as a day-to-day -day task but needs sort of its own page to work on, just flip to the next open page and uh, write it, give it a heading and start writing the stuff that you need to do for that or remember for that task there. I'll give you two examples from my book. I've got one collection that I just labeled books and they're books I've read this year and want to read. And so I just put each one down as a task and when I finish reading it, I cross it off. And so now I've got a ready-made list of these things that mm -hmm. are there. Um, another one I've got, I have a, a spread of pages I'm using for uh, a large project I'm working on at work. A lot of moving parts, a lot of write this thing and then send it for review and then revise it. This is one of the things those spreadsheets I mentioned a minute ago are used mm -hmm. to track. Um, and it's giving by giving it its own page, now I've got all of the stuff for it in one analog place that I can go look at it and scratch it off as I'm done and add new stuff to plenty of room for that. Um and so then the immediate problem you might notice is that if you're just flipping to the next open page, you've got, you know, a week's worth of March here, March days that have been going along here, go along, going along, and get to the end. You flip over, the next page is suddenly this weird collection thing. You just flip to the page after that and keep your daily logs going. It's not, it's not a, not systemic like that. It's not orderly. You can, you can have sequences interrupted and whatnot. Uh, the guy's system and the, the bullet journals we got, recommend keeping an index at the start where you number your page so number your pages as you go and use the index to track where different what page numbers different things are on so as march gets broken up it might be march is on page four through eight and then 13 through 20 that kind of a thing right um which seems worthwhile to do well so, i appreciated that a lot because 
uh, a few a few things that I've, I've mentioned to Tom several times is uh, so so for one thing I, I tend to prefer the digital way of doing things mm-hmm. and the book appeals to me for a few reasons one is just being depe- not being dependent on something with a battery mm. um, a lot of what we're talking about might sound to uh, some of you who have tried this sort of thing in the past um, like uh, Evernote or Google Keep which are more robust at, you you can save web pages you can save pictures and stuff in them um, as well but you could do all of this stuff in either of those mm-hmm. um, but I've tried using both and uh, my my powerful lust for gadgets made me <laughs> ditch Evernote almost immediately because I knew I couldn't not pay for the full version even if I never needed it just because it existed right uh, and Google keep didn't quite I had so much stuff in Google Keep, I couldn't keep track of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine for notes that I want to be able to quickly look up with a with a good search function, but it's not great for task tracking for me because I have so many different notes with tasks on them. It's just not going to fly. Right. Um, the nice thing about this and the index is that for, for me, um, I ended up with this $20 bonded leather bound book because even though he sets out a simple way to do this in any notebook or sheet of paper or whatever you happen to have, I knew that if I did it on a notebook I just had already and didn't get it, if I didn't get it perfect on the first try, it would frustrate me Mm -hmm. so much that I'd give up. So for starters, I needed to begin with one that was already laid out for it. But additionally, the system is rigid enough to give me the framework that I need for my powerful ADHD, mm-hmm. but flexible enough that it allows me to work around things. So the ability, the expressly stated ability of the index to say, uh, March goes from pages four to six and eight and nine and 12 to 14, I would never do on my own. Mm-hmm. The moment I had to break up March, I would get frustrated. Or, or I would try to guess how much longer March was right. and end up causing frustration later when I still ran out of pages or had blank pages mm-hmm. in between, and that wouldn't work out. And I would never come up with splitting March. I would think of it, and I would go, no, I cannot do that. That's not okay. But because an existing system not only allows it but encourages it, I was like, okay, someone else made this work. I can write it out. Right. And it's worked all right for me. So mm-hmm. it's it's nice to have it's, – it's a lightweight enough – framework that it doesn't restrict you too much but it gives you a a framework Mm -hmm. to to build on yeah definitely i i absolutely agree with all of that i would also make the point too you know if you 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 can do it in any journal it works in any bound set of paper um but one of the things i'm appreciating about having having the the real for lack of a better real sure the official one the official one yeah is that it's pretty well made if I had done this with a regular journal, I my I would have gone cheap. I would have been like, oh, I'll just get a cheap notebook and then I'll have that and it'll be fine. And it would have fallen apart inside of a month and a half. And then I'd be like, I guess now I'm done with this. So having something that, that seems like like it'll stand hold up reasonably well as I lug it around and yeah. throw it in my bag and stuff um, is worthwhile. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. All of this may make it sound like we're deeply stupid men. <laughs> this is this is true. I'm not you, gonna. You've heard fight, the podcast. Yeah. You, you've you've listened to this for at least one episode, possibly as many as fifty one episodes. You know, you know. Uh, so we're finding it to be a very nice system so far. I'm only a couple of days in. Johannes is a little bit further than I am. Uh, so we'll probably need to revisit the topic somewhere down the line. Yeah. Of of time management and keeping track of things and getting it all done. By the deadlines. Um, perhaps I will make a note in my bullet journal saying that we need to do an episode follow up on this sometime in April. Hold on. I'm just going to flip to my monthly log here, my future log, the ones with the, the, the six-month view, and I'm going to write that down. Imagine if you only dropped a monthly log, like how bloated you would feel. Well, I feel like if you were... It, like, if that were how you worked, like, you wouldn't be bothered by it. No, I just mean, like, you. Oh, like me. Yeah, the, like just, nothing else about you is different. All of a sudden, I just only poop you once You eat per the month. same amount of chili. <laughs> it's just... Only once a month. Once once a month. The gates are only opened. Yeah. Uh, 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 
You'd have, uh, you'd have to have moon. a scheduled sick day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's lo- not looking good for the eighth, boss. <laughs> you don't want me here, trust me. It'll be rough. Well, I could talk about this for another half hour at least, but we should probably not. not. <laughs> uh, so anything else you wanted to add? Uh, quick? No, no, I think that that about covers the basics. We we think it's cool. We're having a good time with it. We're hoping it'll make uh, our our game design go a little little smoother here. Less lengthy pauses where nothing happens for seven months ago. And uh, yeah, we're good at this. We're just buttholes. <laughs> well, uh, if you want to learn more, but uh, before we come out with maybe another segment about the Bullet Journal, you can go to www.bulletjournal.com. Uh, you could probably just look on YouTube or Google and find it. I know uh, if you allow autoplay to continue after you watch the intro video to Bullet Journal, it goes to some crazy lady who has her blinged out, like, lavender-colored, butterfly-bedecked, tabbed nonsense bullet journal that made me throw up a little bit in my mouth before the video even started. Um, but, you know, it's a thing you could do with your journal, too, if you wanted. Actually, the biggest problem I've had with this so far is that a black notebook made of paper is not a thing that has been in my life ever. Mm-hmm. And so I worked through the last two weekends and I kept putting it down and it would just disappear. It would be gone. <laughs> and I would be like, I know I had it in this room. And I would look at it like six times before I was like... Oh, the notebook on the pile of paper is my notebook because I have a notebook. It was a real problem for me. So maybe I should bling mine out next time with, uh, you know, rhinestones and yeah. Could they, I think I think they call that vajazzling? Uh Sure. Yeah, that's that's what they call that. So don't Google it if you don't know. Don't just don't don't. If you want to ask inexplicably ask us questions about the bullet journal instead of looking to people who know you could do that on twitter at mildly alarming you could do it on email at mildly alarming show at gmail.com you could do it on internet at www.mildlyalarming.com or on facebook.com slash mildly alarming show or you could uh create an increasingly arcane system of symbology to with which to record your question and that would be writing that's what writing is Okay, bye. And now, a mildly alarming public service announcement. Due to the rising popularity of the anti-vax movement causing a sharp decline in herd immunity, a disease thought to have been eradicated decades ago is making an alarming return. A mildly alarming return? A regular alarming return. (gasps) Is right, Tom. For the first time since the Holly Smoot tariff ruined this country, Bladfelt's hyena tongue has been ravaging the northern climes of our fair continent. Is that the one where your breasts get all puffy and congealed? Yes. That doesn't sound so bad. And then your entire skin turns into more or less sour cream and onion potato chips. Medically speaking. That part sounds less good. Other symptoms include... Carbonation of the stomach acid. Swiss army hangnail. Barking farts. Growing wool like a sheep. And giant right arm. You know, like a fiddler crab. You can prevent hyena tongue by drinking a pint of red food coloring per day, licking the undersides of people's shoes, and refraining from licking the undersides of people's shoes. This has been a mildly alarming public service announcement. Thank you. Well, the Calvinists may have a doctrine of total depravity, but so do we, though we mean something different by it. Welcome back to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. I'm Tom Rich. And I'm Johanna Stauffer. And we're both naked from the waist down. And the waist up. We're just wearing belts. (laughs) Large belts that cover our entire bodies. We're in sleeping bags. (laughs) It's just a big belt with a sideways zipper. All right, that's it. End of podcast. (laughs) It's just a big belt with a sideways zipper. What kind of belts do you wear? Ones with the the regular zipper. <laughs> what kind of belts do you wear? Uh, I don't wear belts. I just tie a snake around my waist every morning. That's a belt. Oh, then snakes. Like once you've tied it there. Before that, it's not.
then it's just a snake. The hard part is going to get through the loops. I had to have special pants with giant belt loops made. Yeah. Like, just like any belt that you're not wearing is also just like a leather snake or whatever it's made out of. Hemp. A hemp snake. <laughs> wood. A wood snake. Belts. Quality podcasting. Mm-hmm. Very good podcast. All right. So uh, in the second segment of the episode, uh, we uh, recently, uh, recently uh, found an (laughs) article uh, via the Facebook group for Protospiel about five tips to make your first public playtest a success. And I thought to myself when I said, hey, I'm a game designer. I make games and sometimes I playtest them, sometimes publicly. Uh, What could I do to make my gameplay playtestings more successful? This article might tell me five of those things. Uh, It's by somebody named Jessica Berlin, who seems to know what she's talking about. Uh, It's on the website for Galvanized Studios. I don't know much about them or what they do or what they've put out. So uh, Galvanized Studios, hit me up. Tell me all about it. Give me free stuff. I'm kidding. Don't. Um, But we thought we'd talk about it a little bit. Uh, I actually thought this article was by a man, not for any sexist reason, but because I can't see the name Jessica. See, so it was just blank space Berlin? Yep. And you assumed that was a man? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Why would you assume that was a man? I assume Could all have been... th- things involving Berlin are female because Angela Merkel is the Chancellor of Germany. I guess. That's that's a fair assessment. <laughs> I stand corrected. Uh, you're sitting. I could... No, I'm going to stay seated. Okay, that's probably for the best. So, Galvanized Studios, five ways to make your first public playtest a success. Jessica Berlin, March 14th, 2016. Um, Marth Forchteenth. Did I say that? That's what I heard. I could be having a stroke. It's entirely probable. Uh, There are five points. What are they? Well, first up, they do miss one important point, which is point, well, I'll call it point zero, which is don't, Try to playtest your game by just going to a restaurant and asking people there. Like, that doesn't work. Like, if you just ask a family out for brunch to play your latest orc banking game, uh, you're going to have a bad time. They don't want to play. Orc banking? Yeah, it's like a game where you're you you're orcs, but you run a bank instead of maraud across the, the step. Okay, so it's, it's not like you're... One of any number of evil overlords collecting orcs for your army, but you got to keep them somewhere. Or so you put them in the orc bank. You are you are uh, the aforementioned evil overlords, but your your evil empire uh, uses orcs as currency, mm-hmm. and so like you've got fractional reserve orc banking. So you're lending out more orcs than you actually have on deposit. Or you're an evil empire like China, and you want control. <laughs> over bear with me the like what is it the south china sea where they were just like no that's ours look we built an island in it so now actually by maritime law it is except the banks that they built were orcs just a pile of dead orcs that eventually became an island okay that meaning of orc was lost on me for a while you mean bank that meaning of bank that meaning of bank (laughs) so i was incredibly confused by where the hell you were going with that i'm like how does this get back to banking i don't see where banks come in no i was not going to imply that chinese people are orcs i now understand (laughs) the horror in your eyes (laughs) uh but none of those things, none what, of you those. know, because I would have played, about. maybe, you know, play tested a couple of those, yeah. even with a stranger in a restaurant, as long as they weren't like, come out to my van or we'll meet in my basement in 30 minutes. Fair point. Unless so, it was a nice basement. How would you know before you got there? Maybe they have pictures. How would you know those were real pictures? That's what they would like. If I, I were just have to gamble on it, Tom, I'm playing games already. Might as well play one with my life. <laughs> Let's return to the article. Well, okay. All right. So the first uh, step that they list, uh, that, that Miss, 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 Miss Jessica Berlin lists. Is... Jessica could be a guy's name, you sexist. Oh, my God. We are never going to get to this article at this rate. No, we're not. Uh, number one, practice setting up and explaining your game, um, which is a good point. Yeah. It's a very strong point. We did that. And then we still flubbed it. Like, Well, no. Well, what I was going to say when I finished the sentence, oh, was, we did that, it, you know, during the event, like... 
we practiced by just trying to do it and failing over and over again. But at yeah. least, at least we made changes. It was kind of a live fire practice, yeah. as it yeah. were. So practicing ahead of time, definitely better. Uh, she also makes a good point about, about stacking the deck ahead of time. So if you've got a particular scenario you're trying to test, like you want to know if what if this happens early in the game? You know, what if... Uh, uh, what what if the central Federal Reserve Orc Bank, you know, is established in the first couple of rounds? How does that impact the game? We got to know. You can stack the deck. You don't have to play fair during a playtest. You have to play to get the information you want. Right. And so you, you could say she misses the point or you could say she doesn't. She, she makes a very good point and expects her readers to be smart enough to make to 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 fill in the, the gaps. Um, it's entirely possible that you've playtested the specific Mm -hmm. Uh, scenarios already and you know how the game works when the federal reserve orc bank is established in the first three turns of the game you just want to see how it balances out when you get six or seven random plays with different people over the course of a day Mm -hmm. that's also reasonable yeah you don't have to stack the deck but what she's saying i think is be willing to stack the deck yeah yeah, yeah, If, if you're looking for a specific feedback make that feedback happen don't cross your fingers and hope Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we mildly alarming games concurs on this point. Uh, second point: create a feedback form and bring pens. Cannot emphasize enough bringing pens. People don't always have their own pens. I mean, I think you could probably you could mm-hmm. even overemphasize it. Bring pens, or you're going to die. Right, that's too much. So you could emphasize it enough. Okay, so we could. Okay, um, unless you were saying that you can miss it on either side, but you're incapable of hitting the mark. That's probably true. Okay. So uh, I'm person. I'm a little torn on creating a feedback form myself. Like, yeah. Um, I'm coming out of a kind of a creative writing background, uh, in that I took creative writing classes in college. <laughs> um, where we we never had feedback forms. Obviously, you know, we just kind of had a big round table where your your work was the subject for the week or half the class or whatever. And everybody just talked about it and you just wrote down whatever was relevant. And you would also get sometimes scribbled comments on copies of it given back to you. Um, And so that works fine for me. I feel like a more, I like a more freewheeling conversation about it that I can extract data from rather than attempting to pour it into a formal document. But, and this is an important, but that might just be because I'm too lazy to make a form. All buts are important, Tom. Without them, where would we sit? We didn't have a um, a feedback form. We've never had a feedback form. I looked over the one they, they list here, um, the one from Unpub, which is available for free online. Uh, I looked over it. It had some good questions, but I, I was just thinking about um, our experience mm-hmm. uh, at, at Protospiel last year. We filled out some forms for people. Uh and I don't know, I felt like they weren't going to be all that helpful for them at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have, like this Unpub one does have have game ratings, you know, rate these things on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best. Length of gameplay, interactivity, ease of learning, like some of those things are good, uh, but some of them are just a little too vague. And mm-hmm. I guess it depends from game to game. I'm coming at this mostly from games we pl- either played or mm-hmm. games we made and had play tested. How valuable I feel like that feedback right. would even be. Um, and, and some of the questions in this are a little too, like, unclear. Mm-hmm. Was the end game predictable? Yes or no? If yes, why and how? Is a predictable end game a good thing or I, a bad I, thing? I, I think we're... We're straight. You're, what you're kind of driving at is, um, you, we we did an episode a while back called "The Soup Is a Terrible Cake," where if you're expecting cake, and you get soup, you're and you ju- if you judge soup according to the criteria for cake, you're not right. going to get what you want. If you create your feedback form to get hard numerical data, like rate it from one to five, play length one to yeah. five, you're going to get that, but that might not be the most useful for you. Um, and if you if somebody like if I bring a, a three hour table buster game to Johannes and we play it and it's it's deliberately built to take a long time to Uh play and I ask him to rate the game length from one to five he's going to rate it low because he doesn't like those kind of games right but I've succeeded at what I wanted to do so really so you you know this I don't I don't I don't I didn't look too much detail at this particular one but I think if you're going to go with a feedback from you need to make sure your questions are designed in a way to solicit the kind of answers you want. Exactly. So if you're bringing a, a, a long game and play testing it, it's not so much a question of rate game length one to five. It's 
how effectively does this make use of its game length? Does the game le- does the gameplay fit the length of game well enough? Right. Does you know if you're asking about uh, you know the role of randomness in the game? It's like, do you feel like you had an appropriate amount of control over A, B, and C? That right. Kind of thing. Make sure you're soliciting the information you want. Well, it's a, that's part of what I was driving at. This this unpub form is actually useful. It's a very good uh, starting point for you to make a form if you want an overview form for mm-hmm. your, for your playtesters that fits your game and these are great suggestions and it may fit to a t any number of games mm-hmm. or it may not start with this and make some changes yeah but a few things to keep in mind are if you don't know your playtesters you don't know that i would rate a long game low on game length because mm-hmm. you don't know me and you may not have learned that about me over the length of the game. So more subjective questions w- w- that that glean more information from your player are probably good. Mm. If you know you're shooting for a three-hour-long game, you could even phrase the question, like, this game is intended to take three hours, or this game is intended to be longer for X reason. Do you think... How well do you think that worked? You can be open-ended to those questions. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to get meaningful numerical data out of these forms. Right. But you can get good opinion data if your questions are crafted well. And um, w- going back to what Tom was saying about being more used to like a freewheeling kind of just a discussion of the games, which actually I think the article goes into a little later. Mm-hmm. We are in a somewhat unique, perhaps, uh, situation where there are two of us. And so one can be asking questions and driving the conversation while the other can sit back and just take notes and mm-hmm. listen and figure things out. And you can trade off and be on the same page or, you know, I can be focused on the the experience of the game while Tom could be focused on the mechanics. And so we're not getting lost down a rabbit trail about one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a benefit we happen to have because we're designing together. Mm-hmm. But those are the sort of things that it's good to be aware about in these play tests. And, right. you you know, maybe maybe a form like this is good for you and maybe it's not. But I think you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah just just make sure you're very clear minded about what you're what information you're trying to solicit with the form and how you can phrase that so that somebody who is not you will get it yep. and understand what you're trying to ask them. I mean, that sounds simple, um, but. It's not easy. Which is why we're um, starting a new convention this year called Protoform, where people can bring (laughs) their gameplay testing review forms and just test them and Mm -hmm. see how did you think this game testing form worked out for you? Mm -hmm. All of that was a lie. No, but real talk. um, Considering your audience and thinking about how you can present the information in a way to give them what they need to give you what you want to get from them. Yeah. Um, that is a major component of writing classes that I teach. It's a major problem that I run into daily at my for real grown up job. It's just, it's like the, really that's Western civ right there. That's Western civilization is how do I get other people to do the things that I need them to do around me? How do I, how do I bridge this gap between me and other people? How do I cross that empty black space between minds? How do I make a connection? There's a bridge like right over there. Just. No, but I gotta. I gotta make like, this. Just like no, no, like like th- three I, I gotta, feet up the ravine. I gotta, I, no, to the no, left. I, I really think. I really think we gotta. We have to cross it ourselves without mechanical aids. Well, if you don't wanna, let's move on. <laughs> you wanted to make a mechanical aids like acquired immune deficiency. Just so you, much. You did. I, I saw. I saw you trying to fight it down. It's the number one killer of robots over the age of thirty-five. Bullet number three is let them play without much interference from you, um, which is kind of, uh, you know. Immensely difficult. Yeah, you want to jump in. We've discussed this several times before on the show. Yeah, but no, you got to let them play. You got to let them do their thing. Ideally, you can find enough people to play the game without you Mm -hmm. as a player. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we had that experience. I think we did an all right job. I think generally only one of us was in. Right. And it was useful in with our game having a person who could demonstrate a first turn mm-hmm. uh, in in the context of the game and keep things moving along. But ideally, in a four player game, if you can get four play testers, yeah, definitely. and just kind of sit back and watch and take some notes and answer questions if mm-hmm. asked, but don't interject. Right, and that and two that that kind of 
echoes forward to um I, I don't think there's a further point here. Yeah. No, it is actually so I'll keep quiet until we get to that that last bullet. Yeah. Absolutely. Try to keep quiet, clarify if need be, but for the most part you don't you don't need to be talking while they're playing. Um it, it, it ties to uh um writing as well. I've been in situations with several different people, mostly Tom, but with several different authors in the position of being uh, what's often called a beta reader. Sometimes it's called an early editor. Sometimes it's an alpha reader, depending mm-hmm. on where they are in the process. Um, and none of those terms are particularly well defined because we'll stick with beta reader just for clarity. But saying I'm at a point in, in writing my manuscript where I want a beta reader doesn't even communicate much in the industry because you could still be at a point where you want mechanical feedback. You could be at a point where you want uh like sentence by sentence or chapter by chapter feedback. You can want specific character feedback. You mm-hmm. can want big picture feedback. And beta readers encompass all of those things. And just in the same way, your play test, you may be looking, like we talked about with the first bullet point, you may be looking for feedback specifically on how the game works when things happen exactly in this order. You may just be looking for feedback on the the whole game that you think has come together pretty well and is getting toward finished, and you just want people's opinions on it. So again, it just goes back to knowing what it is that you're trying to get as feedback from your play testers mm-hmm. before, preferably before you start yeah. running the game for them to play test. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next bullet, observe and take notes. Um, you know, that's pretty obvious. You gotta, you gotta write that stuff down, or you'll forget. Again, we've lucked out in that way. Yeah, one of as us. There can... are two of us, right? But uh, not much to say there. We we concur wholeheartedly. She's got some good tips on particular things to jot down on there, so that you can go back to it later on. But you know, whatever's useful for you is good. Uh, and then finally, last point. Ask for feedback and then keep quiet. I think this is huge. It is. You know, whenever you're, you're you know, back to my, my writing class experiences, one of the kind of soft rules in the classroom is that once the uh, once the feedback process started, once somebody's work was up for a workshop, that person really needed to just didn't get to talk. Like if you were asked a direct question, like, and it had to be a pretty simple, like, what, like, was this a typo or not type sure, question? Yeah. You could answer that, but for the most part, you just sat there silently, jotting down notes while everybody else discussed your work, and you weren't supposed to talk for, like, usually, we would have probably about a half hour to 45 minutes dedicated to our work on a given class period that Mm -hmm. we were up for workshop. For a solid half to two-thirds of that, you just wouldn't speak. You would just be like, okay, that's where they reacted. And the point there is, is that you want to get as close to the raw, unvarnished experience of the other people as you can. Because that's the experience they're going to have if you ever publish this, because you're not going to be there. And so you want to know as close as you can what that's like for them so that you can improve it and make it better. But if you're always interjecting, say, no, I meant this, I meant this, I meant this, it doesn't work. Similarly with a board game. If you're always interjecting to say, well, this is what we were going for, well, sure, that's true, but you need to save that for a little bit later on. There are a few caveats to that, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this may be just defensiveness on my part because I know I do tend to interject on these things. Mm-hmm. But um, one of them is, in either situation, in writing or in, in board game playtesting, you're going to have people who really want to give you a lot of feedback who might not have a lot of feedback to give. Mm-hmm. And they might just talk a lot to sound like they're giving... Really, their experience of the game might have been like, I thought that was good... And I have nothing to say, but they want to feel like they're adding somehow. And so they're going to talk whenever they can. You might not know who those people are. It's good to listen if you can. But if you're getting a lot of just like, okay, I know this, just stopped, or or you're clearly wrong, or I don't care, I'm not going to make those changes. Mm -hmm. If you can very kindly and carefully shut that down so you can get good feedback, do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you don't need to listen to the guy over there shouting for 45 minutes when the quieter, politer people who had legitimate feedback are not saying anything because yeah, he won't definitely. shut his yap. Which ties into my mm-hmm. second point, which I'll try to make quickly, because it is time. Sometimes you are getting a lot of feedback on things that you have already gone through. Mm-hmm. And you've 
run the gamut of whatever you can do with that mechanic, that theme, that part of the game, and this person doesn't know that because they weren't there. And sometimes it's okay to step in when you see where they're going and say, no, actually, sorry, we, if I can interrupt you, we tried that. Here's what happened. I want you to understand that I see where you're going and I appreciate your input, mm-hmm. but we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to go over it again. We already did that. Here's what happened. Here's why we went with what we went with. Can we get some other feedback? Mm-hmm. So don't let it go completely off the rails, but I would probably say a solid three quarters of the time, just just listen, note, and then two. This is something you can do before be prepared to prepare before beforehand. Have some probing questions ready, like what did you what did you think about this particular interaction? What did you think about you know this mechanic or how this particular piece played out? Turn and cough. That's yeah. not a question, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, be ready to be ready to to prod the conversation. But if there's particular things you want to dig into, have that set up ahead of time so you don't have to think of it on the spot. There was a better probe joke to be made there, but I I, I would have gone with like an alien butt probe. Well, thing. right, but it, I just didn't have a a neat little you know contained package to just ram up there. <laughs> You're real proud of yourself, aren't you? <laughs> it came together in the end. There, in the end, you are a child. I am a giant child. Uh... So uh, we really liked this article, or at least I did. I don't know about. I don't know what he thought. It was fine. <laughs> it's good. It's worth. It's worth a read. I, I felt like it. it uh, we, we've touched on it before, especially with the the soup is an awful cake mm-hmm. article, which you can find in an earlier episode of ours, which I would look up if I weren't so lazy. You sloth. You should just listen to all of them. They're so great. They're good. Actually, I think that was a pretty good one. It was a good one, mostly because we were using someone else's truly excellent content and just commentating on it. Which is what we just did here, isn't it? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're nothing if not just sponges off other people's creativity. I was going to go with towering mediocrities, but really... You only but to... made of sponge. We're, we're you know, sponge towers. Spongetower.com. I would... I'd probably look once. I'm going to check it out and see what we got here. Spongetower.com. <laughs> uh, DNS error. DNS error. Nothing. <sighs> All right, so if you want to register spongetower.com, that is all yours. It appears to be available. Wait a minute. Toddler approved approved sponge tower time. I got to click that. Do it. Well, Tom's clicking. He'll tell us momentarily what he finds. But uh, if you have sponge tower ideas or anything else you'd like to share with us, you can do that on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. Uh, it's just like like spongy building blocks like that a toddler could use. They're like little... Little rectangular prisms that you could stack up like Jenga blocks. That's okay, I guess. It's, I, if I, like, if I were still a toddler, I'd be down. If you have any experience with spongy tower blocks, you could email us about them on uh, mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. Uh, you could... Um, I took yours. Oh, no, you could leave a comment uh, on um, the, the Facebook page or the website or turnin.com, no, tuneinradio.com or stitcher.com or itunes.com. I think that's all of them. Google Play. Google Play. You could do it on Google Play, too. Ah, my head. And uh, it turns out none of you needs to contact us in any way because all of the comments for the next looks like about 30 years were just spelled out uh, on the wall in the blood that just shot out of Tom's eye sockets as he stroked out just, just now. He's gone. I'll be back with a new host next week. See you then. Johannes started a side project without me, and while that hurt my feelings real bad, I'm contractually obligated to say that I'm happy for the big dumb loser. So, here's a dumb ad for his stupid idea. Thanks, buddy. I'm just real pleased to announce the grand opening of Johannes' art gallery, a beautiful showcase of the finest modern art available. Our space has lofty ceilings, large walls to hang stuff on, and little plaques that tell you all about the art. It also has buckets filled with markers and paint that you are 100% allowed to use to draw on the art. Want to know the best part? The artists, every one of them a student at a prestigious art school, will be there watching you ruin their masterpieces. They even know what's going to happen before it happens. But what are they going to do? Turn down my generous offer to buy their shitty paintings of a lion giving birth to a giraffe with Donald Trump's head? They're artists. 
As soon as I start waving fat stacks of $1 bills at them, saliva just pours from their mouths. You should see it. Turns out a meal that isn't sawdust flavored with their own dandruff trumps artistic integrity pretty much every time. Then they stand there while Cheeto-stained patrons draw mustaches and wieners on everything. Did I mention the complimentary bowls of Cheetos everywhere? We totally have those. Johannes' art gallery. Come for the defacement. Stay to watch a guy in a beret and a turtleneck sob uncontrollably.